Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Opportunity Starts at Home podcast, where we explore the deep connection between housing and opportunity across the nation with experts from various sectors, from health to education, to racial equity, to climate, and much more. My name is Chantel Wilkinson. I am the campaign manager of the Opportunity Starts at Home campaign. The campaign is about bringing voices into housing advocacy that are not typical housing advocates and using these new partners to advance federal affordable housing policy. This campaign has come together at a critical moment with housing advocates recognizing the crisis has reached enormous heights and advocates and leaders in other sectors recognizing that fixing the housing crisis is instrumental to their own goals and priorities. Housing has an impact on our health. Housing has an impact on our education. Housing has an impact on our access to nutritious foods. Housing has played a major role in structural racism and discrimination, and we can go on and on. Our podcast episodes aim to deepen our understanding of housing and its spillover impacts, explore the substantial research out there, and we are bringing in the experts to chat about it. So thank you for joining us today and let's get into this episode. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode. Today we will be releasing part two of our three-part webinar series on building multi-sector housing partnerships to advance federal housing policy. This webinar features our state partners in Idaho, New Jersey, Utah, and Ohio, discussing the opportunities, challenges, and best practices of building state-level multi-sector coalitions to advance policy. These partners have been a part of the campaign from the very beginning, and their coalitions are instrumental to our work. If you have not already, be sure to listen to part one of the series. You can find it here on iTunes or SoundCloud. For more information on this series, check out our website, opportunityhome.org. You definitely won't want to miss the last one. And without further ado, let's jump into the recording. Thank you for joining us today on part two of our webinar on building multi-sector partnerships. Before we get into the discussion today, I'm going to kick it over to Mike Kaprowski. He is the campaign director of Opportunity Starts at Home. All right. Well, hello, everybody, and thanks, uh, Chantel. Uh, so my name is Mike Kaprowski. I direct the Opportunity Starts at Home campaign. Thanks for uh, tuning in today to this excellent webinar. We've got an all-star rock star cast for you uh, folks. But, um, you know, Opportunity Starts at Home, it's, it's really about bringing together uh, groups from different sectors uh, to push on housing policy. So, you know, education, uh, health, climate groups, food groups, faith, child welfare, social work, criminal justice reform, and, and many others. And, and together we wanna uh, jointly push on Congress to act on more uh, robust and equitable federal housing policies. And, um, you know, I, I assume if you're tuning in today, you are, you are well aware that even before the pandemic, uh, we were in the grips of an affordable housing crisis uh, that, that was most severely impacting uh, the most marginalized and the lowest income people. And so all of the groups that we've brought into this campaign, whether it's the American Academy of Pediatrics, or whether it's Catholic Charities USA, or the Natural Resources Defense Council, or the NAACP, or the National Education Association, the largest teachers union in the country, or the Food Research and Action Center, they all understand that uh, their own goals are inextricably linked with people having safe, decent, affordable housing. And so 
The point here is that housing advocates shouldn't be advocating for housing policies alone. We should be doing it shoulder to shoulder with our allies in other sectors. And particularly in this moment, it's so critical, right? I mean, as co Congress is discussing these robust infrastructure and recovery packages, we really have a, a, a historic opportunity to advance bold uh, housing solutions. And our theory of change is that these solutions are more likely to come to fruition when multi-sector coalitions are leading the way rather than just housing advocates alone. So this webinar series is really about, you know, exploring the, the opportunities, the challenges and the best practices of building multi-sector coalitions to advance policy. Um, and so today we're gonna focus on kind of the state level work. So a big part of the Opportunity Starts at Home campaign is not just the national groups. Uh, a critical component is that we have partners in state-based organizations essentially doing this same work, right? Trying to diversify their state's housing coalition to bring in those other sectors. Because, yeah, I mean, yeah, sure, Congress needs to hear from us advocates in DC, but they really need to hear from the people that vote for them. They really need to hear from their own constituents. And so it's essential that we have these state-level organizations deeply involved in this campaign. And so you're gonna hear from a few of our state partners today. I think all of these groups uh, have been with the campaign from its inception, right from the start. Um, and they'll talk about, you know, the strategies that they've employed to, to bring multi-sector partners on board, how this has transformed the way that they work day to day, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, lessons learned, challenges, all of the above. And so our, our hope with this webinar is that it'll give you kind of a better view of, of multi-sector work and what it takes to build those uh, coalitions. So again, uh, thanks for tuning in. I'm going to now turn it over to my partner in crime, Chantel, to uh, kick off the discussion. Sure thing. Thank you so much, Mike. And so you heard, you heard from Mike in his introduction that today you will be hearing from some of our state partners. You heard on our first part of the webinar, you heard from some of our climate partners, health partners, and our education partners about why they joined the campaign campaign and the importance of the work that they are doing. And now you're, you're going to get a state level perspective from our state partners and the very important work that they do and bring to the national campaign. And so today you'll be hearing from Kendra Knighton. She is the policy associate for asset for the Idaho Asset Building Network. It's a program of the Idaho Voices for Children. You'll hear from Gina Wilt. She is the advocacy director at the Coalition on Homelessness and Housing at um, in Ohio. You'll hear from Tara Rollins. She is the executive director of Utah Housing Coalition. And you'll hear from Sharon Baker Barker. She is the vice president and COO of the Housing and Community Development Network of New Jersey. So for each of you, as we jump into the discussion, this question will be for each of the panelists that we have today. Um, these groups, these organizations are part of the first cohort of state grantees that we had through the national campaign. And we supported you guys as you guys built these state level multi-sector partnerships and leverage those partnerships in order to advance federal affordable housing policy. So can each of you talk about the work that your organization has done through OSA um, and how OSA has transformed the work that you have done previously? Well, I can't remember. Was there someone who was supposed to go first? Um, you can jump can... in, Gina. <laughs> sure, um, I'll be brave. <laughs> Um, so thank you so much um, to Mike and Chantel. Um, Opportunity Starts at Home definitely was a game changer for Cohio. Um, it really bolstered our work um, by helping us ramp up efforts that, you know, maybe we were doing a little bit of that here and there, but it really gave us 
a better um, foundation to do um, a lot of our district tours, our statewide district tours. Pre-COVID, um, we did a tour almost every month, um, a couple months, couple, you know, like I think we did 12 to 14 tours. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, um, we shifted to the virtual roundtables and did even more because virtually, you know, it's a little bit easier to get people around the table. So the tours and roundtables, they do take time and they take staff time, they take resources. Um, so being um, a part of Opportunity Starts at Home really helped us to dedicate our efforts in this space. Um, and it was essential. Um, and it helped us to be very purposeful with this work um, because a lot of it is about relationship building. And so you do have to be very purposeful. Um, so, and I, I can't highlight enough um, what a difference it makes when you're doing roundtables and tours out and about the state, you know, for your elected officials, for your policymakers. Um, and when they come to a meeting and sitting around the table, you have a housing developer, you might have a homeless service provider, a housing provider, a banker, maybe next you have the managed care organization, maybe you even have um, someone from um, Department of Rehab and Corrections who's working on re-entry work, maybe you have the local hospital, the asthma prevention you know, coordinator, whoever that is, all these different people around the same table um, talking about housing. Um, the legislator or the, you know, the, the congresswoman or the congressman, they are forced really to understand the intersections when they see everyone around the table. And when they are all talking about housing, you know, they're emphasizing why housing is so important to the work that they do um, and what that intersection um, looks like between housing and the work that they do. So it's definitely been a game changer for, for Ohio. I'm glad that we were a part of the the first recipients, um, and we continue the work. So it was, it laid the foundation. It helped us put a framework together and just, you just have to do it. It's a lot of logistical, you know, one foot in front of the other, um, but it's been a great experience. So hopefully that was the answer you're looking for. And I'll turn it over to whoever wants to be the next brave soul. I'll pass it over to, to Sharon. I'll jump in because I can build on that. Thanks, Gina. Uh, so we took it a little bit uh, from the same approach as Gina and a little different as well. So very excited that we were part of the first cohort because we are a statewide membership organization. And by intentionally thinking beyond what we had been doing for 30 years or almost 30 years at that point, it helped us to grow our organization and helped us to grow our membership as well because we thought beyond beyond our noses, right? You know, you're, you're looking at the obvious as your members. This really helped us open that, that whole dialogue up to a larger audience. And we, we started talking about um, how do we bring in more people under a bigger tent? You know, instead of keeping it small and, well, we have about 250 members at that time, we're now at about 275. So it did help us grow our membership as well, but it helped us to grow the tent. And by doing that, it allowed us to have a stronger voice in the community, because when you bring together people from various groups having different points, but to the same objective, it's a much stronger message. And so we really did the statewide event because we do have the annual uh, legislative day that we hold in state as well, where we bring all of our members and supporters to our state house 
and we have meetings all day with our legislators, although we've done the last uh, two of them virtually uh, and had a great turnout. We had hundreds of people show up uh, via Zoom. But we also have something in New Jersey that we call our A-teams. And yes, I, I know everybody's picturing Mr. T with all the jewelry on, but it's really advocacy teams that that stands for. And uh, we have them by counties. So there's 16 of them that we've put together in New Jersey. And they bring to gr together groups in a local issue uh, perspective. And they talk about what's happening locally for them. And then we bring them all together. And that's how we have legislative day. And that's also how we come up with our legislative and policy agenda is through what are they all facing and what are they all seeing? Of course, we had base closures were happening as part of this. That was a big issue. And of course that's a federal issue. And then people not having homes and could those bases now be used as homes? Uh, so it brought in realtors, uh, which we had not had before in some of our A teams. And that was new for us. It really brought in uh, an aging population. We have some members now that are really focused on uh, walkability areas, easy transit for the aging population. Uh, it really gave an opportunity for us to look at not just family housing or single mom housing or, uh, you know, what are we doing with uh, aging in place, but it talked about moving them into a safer neighborhood, a larger um, area that could attend to their needs. And it also helps us to figure out who are our legislators that we need to be working with on certain issues. And that bigger tent has really helped us uh, enormously. And I, I know I'll answer some of that in my, my later question, but it really was a wonderful opportunity to focus on that. And, you know, we tend to do what we do and, and do the things you have to do up front, but this really gave us an opportunity to focus and to grow. So I'll pass it now. I'll pass it over to Kendra. Thanks, Chantel. Uh, so our experience was a little different uh, just because we were not an organization that worked in housing prior to becoming a part of the Opportunity Starts at Home co cohort. Um, so I work for an organization called Idaho Voices for Children, and we primarily elevate policies that ensure that children and families with low incomes can thrive. And within that um, mission at that time, we were primarily focusing on policies related to uh, child safety and welfare, uh, healthcare, behavioral health, education. Um, and within that work, we had several different coalitions and policy priorities. Uh, but within that work, we did keep hearing from community partners and from you know, the other people that we were working with that housing and housing affordability in Idaho was becoming an issue more and more and was impacting you know, different parts of our communities in different ways. Um, and for some additional context, for a long time, Idaho has really been viewed as a state where homes are affordable. And as a result of that, our state government doesn't really do anything related to housing. They don't provide housing assistance or really do much in housing policy. And so as a result of that, we don't have um, housing advocates that existed before our group came together. So with the Opportunity Starts at Home grant, we were able to start reaching out to folks that we've been hearing these concerns from and being able to, um, kind of the opposite of what Sharon was saying, bringing people from multiple tents and actually bringing them under one tent specifically to talk about housing. 
And um, as a result of that, we were able to bring together, you know, kind of the first advocacy organization in Idaho that was dealing with federal housing policy um, on a statewide level. And four years later, we continue to be the primary and I think still only advocacy organization that's doing this work on the statewide level. Um, so we've been very um, grateful to have been able to build just a very robust and passionate group of advocates from different sectors who are also passionate about being housing advocates. Uh, they just needed, you know, a little guidance around how to actually be effective housing advocates and needed a place where they could, um, you know, come together with other advocates in the state so that we could all come together and have a joint voice behind, um, you know, the efforts that we we're trying to pursue. Um, so, yeah, we have been working at the federal level for four years, and um, in response to the pandemic, we also started to turn our sites inward. Uh, so we are now doing local and state advocacy work in addition to, to the federal work. And I'll go ahead and pass it back to Chantel. Sure thing, and I'll pass over to Tara. Thank you, and greetings from Utah. Um, I cannot tell you how much of an impact this um, particular grant had for us. Um, we had started to dabble into, you know, messaging around, you know, schools and, you know, um, as well as healthcare, you're saying, you know, if we invest in housing, we're gonna spend less over here. Well, this really gave us the foundation um, to really bring really good research and information to the different sectors um, for them to join us. And so I highly recommend you using their website. There's some incredible information there. Um, so one of the things that we had going for us here is that we had a family investment coalition and the leadership had changed right at the time of, um, of this. Um, and so the coalition, our coalition said, we're gonna take it over. So we were able to take um, the Family Investment Coalition that meets every Wednesday during our legislative session and then monthly um, during the year. And those organizations are exactly um, the different sectors. Um, and so we have healthcare, we have you know after school network, we have the United Way that focuses on education. We have the school system there. We have, I mean, so it's it was a great group um, to really start to, you know, focus. We always talked about our own silos and we all like usually helped each other if there was a bill on the hill, et cetera. But this really um, kind of gave us some cross section so we could talk about um, their issue in a different way as well as ours. And so, um, and something that's really important um, here is that Utah doesn't really like federal funds per se. And, and so how do we you know, advocate for federal programs? And so it was really important for us to be working at the state level as well as the federal level. And so you know, just to um, say one of the things that Family um, Investment Coalition did um, that we set up a, a meeting instead of having a panel with our um, federal delegates, we actually had the panel of our different, like Utahns Against Hunger, we had the education, we had housing, we had um, also um, the school system. 
And we actually spoke about housing and the different sectors and they were able to ask questions. And so that was extremely helpful as well. So um, really happy to have this in our daily work. Thank you. And just hearing from you guys, a lot of things that you know you talked about, we were really amazed by at the national level, the ways that the coalitions were able to meet in groups, have these meetings, produce content. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about like the, the very specific activities that you all do. Um, but a big part of this that some organizations watching might have the question around, and you guys touched on it a little bit about breaking these sector silos and bridging these connections between these different sectors. It's just how to build those, those coalitions and how you guys were able to do so. Uh, so what were the lessons learned when you were reaching out to partners, trying to build this collaboration over the last few years? Can you give any tips or lessons to folks who are looking to build um, this coalition and bring partners from other sectors into the housing, the housing world. How did you do it? What could you tell folks? Gina will kind of do it the same route again. So I'll start with you. Okay. <laughs> um, well, that's a great question. And I feel like in Ohio, for me, I cheated a little bit with this because of our executive director, Bill Faith who has been around for like 30 years and he knows everyone and Ohio is a small town and I'm from a small town and, you know, working on Cap Square here in Ohio, everyone would always tell me, oh, Cap, you know, Cap Square, it's like, you know, high school. And I never, I'm like, oh, it's just like everything I'm used to. So Ohio is kind of like that in a sense. So um, building on that and then building on the fact that Bill knows everyone, um, I, you know, this was a little bit probably easier for me. Um, you know, when you're around for 30 years and, you know, the Ohio Catholic Charities point, you know, they've been around for 30 years and you've worked on things for, together for 30 years. It's just that relationship is there. You just pick up the phone and call and you collaborate. Um, so we're truly blessed in that area and those longstanding connections. Um, so, but sometimes you do have to build new relationships and I like to do coffee breaks and um, I get, Bill makes fun of me for my coffee breaks and he's probably listening right now, laughing, hopefully um, not taking, but I do a lot of coffee breaks because you have to build relationships. You just can't go to an organization that's working on, you know, 10 priorities that are very important and say, Hey, you need to jump in on our issue too. Um, you really do have to build those relationships and, um, you know, you kind of have to lobby them a little bit on why they should be a part of your, your efforts and really um, using the information that Opportunity Starts at Home has, which is great. And I'm glad Tara, Tara brought that up um, because that, that's, that was so helpful in engaging groups that maybe we not, had not engaged before. Um, and also one of the things that, you know, we did, and I talked about this a little bit too, is we would invite our multi-sector partners to our congressional roundtables. And who doesn't want to show up and have FaceTime with their congressman or lawmaker they don't have to do anything. I've done all the, the planning and the logistics. They just have to show up um, and they do. And then they see it and they understand like what we're really looking for and what it's all about. So for an organization that you might engage with that they haven't done any um, coalition building, they really don't know much about that. I would just encourage you invite them to the table when you're doing you know, one of those virtual roundtables or in-person events, um, you know, if we get back to that. So 
um, you know, that FaceTime is really important to them too. And so they see kind of how it works and, and um, that's been, I don't know, that that's really been helpful. So maybe I'll stop there and someone else can share. Okay, I guess it's my turn. Um, so it sounds like Gina and I both have some, some great luck there and that our CEOs or executive directors have strong relationships and uh, many of our staff members have strong, long relationships throughout the state, which really does help tremendously. The respect level is already there. The who to contact is already there. But I think what really worked um, that I, I wanna focus on a little differently is that we had also at the same time been adopting some new issues into our strategic plan that we tied into Opportunity Starts at Home. So one of the things that was really a big focus for us was healthy homes and communities work. And by bringing the healthy homes piece in and start bringing hospitals in and healthcare providers and school nurses, these are all people that we would work with tangentially but they weren't necessarily our strong partners. And by starting to work on the community health needs assessments and the community health impact plans, you know, the CHNA and the CHIPS, those are things that are really building our stronger relationships and building our relationship between the hospital and the healthcare provider and our housing providers. We also brought in, um, we decided that if we were going to do this, we were going to do it well because that's who we are and we're like, you know, we're all type A's, right? So we had to do it well. Uh, so we decided to make this part of our strategic planning process. And we actually built all of these principles into our strategic plan. So we brought health and healthy communities into our strategic plan. And we also brought in the arts, which I know is not a norm uh, in the housing industry, but we brought in the arts from a safety perspective and we had had, unfortunately, Superstorm Sandy had hit the East Coast a few years earlier. Uh, and people use the arts as a way to deal with mental health issues and to deal with losing their homes and children to be able to express themselves. So we brought the arts in and we've now built a whole component and a whole, a whole project around it called NEST, which is Neighborhood Empowerment and Safety Training. Uh, so we've got this new program, first one in the country like it. And it's the arts working with community developers and the anchor institutions to build stronger communities. And, you know, when you use the arts um, in a crosswalk, it causes cars to slow down. Well, if they slow down, you have less children getting hit by cars. You have less accidents. You know, so we're, we're really working community by community to expand this and also bringing the police departments into community development. And that was not a natural alliance that was there before. So we're really looking beyond just the house and looking at the house and the healthy community. And this really helped us to do that. So both the arts uh, and our safety work and our healthy homes and communities work were built in and were really main focuses for us going forward with our Opportunity Starts at Homework. The other thing I just want to mention, because I know we're trying to keep on time here, but it was really important. And I think when Tara mentioned it, I, I want to mention it too. The information from your website and from the monthly meetings that we were having was really important to us because each of us were going about this from a different perspective. And hearing what other people were doing was opening up dialogue that we wouldn't have naturally had. It wasn't something that was naturally right there in our conversation. So when 
the NEA was a strong partner. Well, the NJEA office is down the street from my office. So down the street we went and conversations happened and school nurses got involved. And that was a whole other area that we probably would not have thought of originally. Uh, so, you know, the, the connection with a national cohort and learning from each other was really a very important part of this process for us. Yeah, I would also just like to echo how helpful the resources on the Opportunity Starts at Home campaigns website have been. Um, I know when I was preparing meetings with folks I hadn't talked to before about housing, I would usually print off the uh, fact sheets that were on the Opportunity Starts at Home page with all that incredible data and information to kind of use as a, a starting point for those conversations. Um, so again, would just like to highlight that those were incredibly useful uh, for me with reaching out to folks and then also just for my own education as I was learning more about that. Um, so when we were building the coalition, um, as I'd mentioned before, we already had some pretty good partnerships with folks that were working um, in our other policy areas that were interested in uh, becoming involved in the housing work. So we were fortunate in that we already had a lot of those relationships developed. Um, and I think we were unique in the fact that our new partners coming to the table to join us for the first time were those who actually worked in housing policy. Um, so we did it a little backward, I think, compared to some of the other folks on this call. Um, but I think because we were bringing so many folks to the table who hadn't worked in housing, that did definitely put us in a position where we were kind of relied upon to really serve as, um, you know, an organization that could provide education to our coalition about housing and be the folks who could really teach them about how to be housing advocates and what things to pay attention to and what they should know to go back and inform their organizations about what we're talking about. Um, so that was, I think, something that had not really been a part of many of our other coalitions where we brought together groups of people who were already kind of working within a specific area and had specific goals. Um, so it was a little different in the sense that we were um, having to provide more education and just establishing that foundation than we had in our other work. Um, another significant difference, um, at least again in our organization between our housing group and then some of our other coalitions was that we had to be a little bit more thoughtful about the ways and the um, and how often we were asking our partners to engage in action opportunities. Because uh, again, usually with our coalitions where we have folks all who have policy priorities who are in line, they've already decided to commit resources and time into these specific goals. Whereas with housing work, since it was a multi-sector coalition, they have their own priorities over here. And then housing is you know, part of those priorities, but almost like a supplement to them. And so they didn't necessarily have as much time or capacity to dedicate to the action opportunities that we would um, present to them. We had to be a little bit more creative just to ensure that we weren't putting too much pressure on their time. Um, so instead of asking folks to, you know, set up individual meetings with their lawmakers or to send their own letters, um, we'd often rely more on um, sign-on letters or we would host joint meetings with um, multiple people so that we could all just share that time together. Um, and just being creative about the way that we engaged in advocacy just to ensure that they could 
still be, you know, effective housing advocates in ways that they wanted to be, but without it being overly burdensome in light of the other priorities that they also had in their work. So one of the things that we did right off the bat was we took advantage of some of the other meetings that were happening. Um, and we were very lucky to have a collective impact um, around homelessness and a mayor that was really gung-ho about looking at the different silos um, and how each of them were impacting one another. So through, and so we took advantage of some of the people that were, um, that were attending that meeting and started, um, you know, meeting with them separately. And so that was, you know, extremely helpful in building different relationships, um, as well as, you know, our county was also really aggressive in looking at lead-based um, paint and bringing in new partners um, for the program, asking banks to, you know, help, um, with putting some of their CRA funding into um, helping families, as well as, you know, talking to the hospitals. And so really partnering with that. So we kind of had a hard head start in the healthcare. Um, and then we took advantage of another situation that happened naturally, where United Way was meeting and it was being, um, you know, the the lead person was a transportation person and then there was healthcare and there was a couple mayors and um, it was all relating around why kids were not staying in the school um, that they started. And so looking at the school turnover, well, they identified eviction as an issue. And so we were able to, you know, work with that particular group and really talk about, you know, the impact of eviction um, with their lens. And so that was helpful. The other thing we took advantage of is items, I mean, that we were already doing like our conference. And so when, you know, we first had Megan Sandel be our, you know, keynote speaker, we also set up meetings for her to meet with Intermountain Healthcare and University um, Hospital. And so we did that, you know, before our conference. And then at our conference, we actually had a round table with other um, sectors um, as well. And she was involved in that. That was really, really productive because we had also legislators be part of that. Um, and so they were able to, you know, dialogue um, with that, you know, um, and yeah, so those are some of the things that we have done um, in terms of just taking advantage of what's already out there and building those relationships and bringing information for them to be able to, you know, speak um, about housing, especially to elected officials. Um, you know, we're having a hard time right now getting, you know, meetings with um, our leadership, our federal leadership. And, and but yet these other agencies have no problem being able to meet face to face with them. And so by making sure that they have the right information and what's happening in Congress, it is so important um, to have our you know, leaders in our state um, be at the table and with the right information. Yeah, thank you all. And a lot of what you all spoke about, we really do see on the national level as well. There's that conversation about 
um, relationships that have been built over time. So sometimes collaboration may feel a little easier because you've already established, you know, a long-term year-to-year collaboration with the group. So it was just bringing in and having that conversation with them around a very specific campaign. So it made the goals and priorities a little bit more specific to collaborate on. And then, you know, on the national level, I think we always say sometimes that sometimes you have to do a little bit of courting when it comes to organizations. And so you find ways to connect with new groups and try to bring them into the fold. And sometimes they not they may not be ready to jump immediately into housing and the priorities, but there might be that, you know, that little bit of, of, of um, like a, a inroad there in order to start the conversation and bridge some of the work. And over time, some folks are easier to get into the collaborative space in that way too. So there's a lot of having conversation, um, really being intentional with the relationships that we build with organizations. And I, I think it was Kendra that mentioned it too, is that when you also engage these groups into the work, there's that uh, conversation about you know, how to do it effectively because they have their own capacities. They have, you know, the things that they're working on that's really important to their sector as well. So how do we engage them in ways that are effective, um, that really um, makes use of the time that they're providing that value into the campaign that you guys have been building over time. So thank you all for just speaking about what that looks like on the state level and how it mirrors a lot of the stuff that we're also doing um, in the national level as well. I want to give a little bit of time here to just mention that if you do have a question, we will have Q&A in a little bit. So just throw your questions into the chat box and I'll definitely get it answered for you. Um, and the resource I've thrown into the chat box, a lot of our panelists today just mentioned it and it's our sector page on the opportunityhome.org page where you'll find information, substantial research on a lot of the sectors that are, it's, it's a resource that helps bridge that gap. Uh, so I'm going to kind of move into kind of individual questions, at least a one round of individual questions for you all. And I'll start with Gina. We're gonna jump into more like the specific activities that you guys told us that you did so that we can get a, a better understanding of the unique coalitions that you all um, brought to the table. So with Gina at Cohio, you guys talked about a lot of different activities. There was like a, a postcard YouTube video campaign. There was housing tours. There were a number of panels. So how did you all go about, you know, asking your partners to collaborate on different activities? What were the steps? Yeah, so it's funny when you brought up the the videos originally to me, I was like, did we do that? I don't remember doing it. I'm like, oh yeah, we did do that. And it's probably because our communications director really took the lead with that, which was great. I think I helped find good speakers and, you know, he helped set up, you know, just it was very organic and um, the light, you know, we had special lighting that he took care of, but it was pretty much on just our, our iPhones. But we did that at a conference. You know, this was pre-COVID. We had a conference and we decided to do um, just quick little like postcard videos um, and post them all over Twitter and all over social media. Um, but we had like a banker who talked about why, you know, um, it, all about the affordable housing crisis, you know, why was housing important to, to him and to his industry. And we had um, the Center for Independent Living um, do a little video postcard about the intersection of housing with their work. Um, I think we had, um, gosh, I mean, pretty, we had education, um, Ohio Federation of Teachers, we had Voices for Ohio's Children. Um, so it was, 
it was a great, um, like a specific thing. And I think each day of the week we had a different like housing and healthcare, housing and education, housing and children. So we did that for like four days in a row and just pushed it out, pushed it out, pushed it out. So that was really effective. I think um, just that repetition and then hearing the different intersections. So that was something unique that we did with um, some of our multi-sector coalition partners. Um, but yes, yeah, we did the tours. We did a lot of panels. Um, and the other two things that I think that um, were very effective and um, I give a lot of credit to um, all the credit to uh, Marcus Roth, our communications director, because um, we did a lot of op-eds and we would get our multi-sector partners to do op-eds. So we had like Columbus State Community College, their president did an op-ed about the intersection between youth homelessness and education and what they were dealing with at the their school. Um, we had, um, I think, gosh, I, I can't even remember now. I think we had we had so many different. Um, we had the Ohio, Ohio Federation of Teachers did did one. I mean, we had several. I mean, when I look back, I was looking. It was like, wow, we really got a lot of different multi sector partners. Um, and then sign on letters. That'll be the last thing that I mentioned. We did a lot of sign on letters, and I think it's very effective to have. Um, diverse organizations from, you know, everywhere signed on to one letter for one issue. And I guess the dog is telling me my time is up. So sorry about that. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> Thanks, Gina. Sharon, I'm going to turn it over to you with New Jersey. You guys put on annually, a uh, annually this event would happen. It's a congressional day that you guys would put on and you would bring advocates, hundreds of them, and they would come over to really speak to housing and you guys themed it around opportunity starts at home so a lot of the stories that we heard from the advocates really talked about like how housing insecurity had an effect on education had an effect on health had an effect on food had an effect on their economic mobility job opportunities transportation all these different things from a very personal viewpoint um, and then you also had leadership come in and talk about housing as well so it's a really big event that you guys put on every year and for the last few years as you guys have been with opportunity starts at home it's had that multi-sector theme so how were you guys able to integrate that theme into to this day that you guys have annually, what's the process and um, how does it, like, how does it, um, um, how did you put on the event? How does it, how does it usually go? With a lot of help from other people. <laughs> That's really how it goes. Um, we started in 2016 with what we call Congressional Day. And it was with, I think, about eight other organizations and we all took a role in putting this together. And we brought between eight to 10 busloads of people from New Jersey down to DC for the day. Uh, so we had hundreds of people that were there. And uh, instead of us, uh, traditional lobby day uh, in DC is you run to the different people's offices. We stayed in one place and they came in and met with us throughout the day, which was really very um, effective and had a greater impact because everyone was in the room and they saw the group. Otherwise, they wouldn't have known that there were 10 busloads of people. And so this way, they saw the hundreds of people sitting in the room together. Mike Kaprowski has been our speaker several times. So thank you, Mike. Uh, we've had great speakers that we've been able to get through NLIHC, as well as through some other organizations. And of course, we get as many of our legislators as we can to speak. We, we've been very, very lucky with our two US senators. Um, 
Senator Booker comes, you know, running in between votes and he'll speak to everybody and then he'll run right up and he'll take a group picture first, always, um, which is is really great. Uh, and everybody gets excited when he's there. One of our one of our big important pieces of this, though, is that it includes clients. And so people who have been impacted by the different federally funded programs are there. And the majority of the people that speak throughout the day are clients and they talk from a positive perspective. And this has been um, our point from the beginning. We don't want people up there saying, don't do this do, or don't do that or a negative messaging. The whole day is a very positive messaging about this program made a difference in my life. This program helped. This needs to be funded so that it can continue to help people to get out of this situation or to get back in a home or to get childcare so that they could go to work. Those positive messages all day, you leave there exhausted but feeling exhilarated by hearing people who were able to be helped because of federal dollars. Let's face it, there are dollars, right? They're tax dollars. So if all of us can feel positive about how tax dollars are used to help people with a hand, a hand up, then you know what could be better? So we all go back home and have this great messaging and stories that we tell. And our legislators love hearing it that way as well. They love hearing that, yes, we voted yes, so that you would have money for Section 8. Well, that money helped this mom go to school and she was able to get, um, you know, funding for education and some childcare funding and Section 8 help. And she got her CNA and now she's working and has come off of Section 8 and is able to provide for her children and they're in a childcare program. So if they could hear the impact the funding had on individual families from the family, it made a huge difference for everybody in the room. I find those days to be um, really some of the best of the year. And when COVID hit, we went to Zoom, obviously, everybody went to Zoom and we did our congressional day by Zoom and we did the same thing. Well, it's gotten to the point now where our legislators are actually saying, are you doing it? Um, they want to be a part of it. They want to be able to say, we funded this or we voted to fund that. And to be able to let people know that they were in favor of certain legislation. And I think that kind of messaging shows both sides of the coin then and makes people feel that they have access to their legislator. And the legislator feels like okay, this money was money well spent. So when we ask them to increase the amount of money that goes into Section 8, um, you know, they understand how it's going to be used and they see the benefit of that. We also know very clearly that when they hear messaging from diverse audiences, that it's a much stronger message than if they just hear it from housing advocates. I mean, we're good at it, right? We're very good at this, but it's much more impactful when you hear from someone who received assistance and was able to work with it and and to get to a point where they're proud of what they've achieved and that they've made a home for their children and that they're able to provide uh, for their families. So we find that this is a really important day for us um, and our and our partners. This was not done just by us. I, I will say that every time I get the chance, there were eight to 10 organizations that worked on this, put it together. Uh, we did a lot of the coordination to get the meetings set up and getting our members involved, but it really is something that was a collaborative effort. So very proud of it. And uh, we do it statewide 
every year as our legislative day, and then we do the congressional day with the Washington DC visit. Yeah, it's an incredible day. And to both of your answers, Gina and Sharon, I think it really talks about or really gives some perspective into how we can also communicate the message around housing through the national partners that we have and also through people with lived experience. And they, both of those ways bring a very unique um, conversation or you know messaging to what we're trying to do through the campaign but they all kind of like they're, they're all connected too so you'll hear about the research that, that's out there and the reports that go out and you know the national partners they really flesh out a lot of those stats and what they're finding and what they're uh, they're pushing for but then when you really hear it from those with lived experience as well you just hear those personal stories that just tie it all together when you have a person who's struggling with housing and they're telling you how it impacts all these different aspects of their lives and then making sure that that's effectively communicated to policymakers is really a game changer it really helps to shape the issue in a way that's really on a multi-sector this doesn't just impact one aspect of their lives it impacts so many different aspects of their lives. So thank you all for sharing that. I'm gonna go over to Idaho now, Kendra. Uh, the Idaho Asset Building, Building Network, you all weren't you all were in a housing organization. And um, in that first cohort that we had, you were the only group that was in a housing organization. So from your perspective, how has being a part of this housing campaign with OSA and having these partnerships um, with other um, state partners that were housing organizations, how did Idaho you know, transform under this model um, with having housing as a focus in this way? Um, and how was that, how did that help with you guys in recruiting other sectors as well? Yeah, so frankly, being a part of the cohort was, um, you know, fairly transformative for our organization overall. Uh, like I said, we weren't really engaging in housing advocacy prior to uh, joining the cohort. And now it is a policy that is fully ingrained in our team and our organization. So we've been very excited to see that be able to grow over the last few years. Um, we also, I think, were very lucky to have so many other great organizations as part of the cohort that we could look to as great examples as organizations who'd already been working in housing to uh, help inform some of the work that we were building at that time. Um, as for recruitment, um, you know, I, I already mentioned that we had, you know, pretty significant uh, relationships with other community organizations that worked in other sectors. And it was fairly easy for us to be able to tap into a lot of that, those relationships to see if they wanted to engage in the housing work. Um, but I think beyond that, it was also helpful for us to have already made those relationships because those community organizations already recognized us as you know, effective, incredible advocates for working in other spaces. Um, so when we would create content like fact sheets that would talk about the you know, intersection between housing and hunger, and we would ask for those um, resources to be shared, then, you know, there was no hesitation about the credibility of that uh, fact sheet. It would be shared. Other, you know, hunger advocates may see that and then they may reach out and, you know, want to know how they can be involved. Um, so being able to tap into those networks was something that was also very, very helpful on our end in helping to identify other folks who may want to be at the table. Um, and I think we really saw that kind of come to fruition, especially during the pandemic, uh, because we, again, had this really phenomenal working group that we've been working with for a couple of years. 
And then during the pandemic, we started doing some rapid response, you know, emergency relief related um, action opportunities. And our uh, working group partners were just sharing those widely with those networks. And as a result of that, we saw our working group, I think almost triple during that time um, because we started getting our word out, you know, in different parts of the state to partners that hadn't quite heard about our work quite yet. And as a result of those um, partners that we already had at the table that we've been working with for years, we were able to, again, kind of broaden the scope of our work and bring more folks into it. Um, and then beyond that, I think the other thing that was helpful from our perspective was the fact that, you know, as non-housers, we already had a fairly good understanding of how to make that argument for bringing in folks who don't work in housing into the conversations for housing. Um, so when we were having those conversations and forming that messaging, we really just had to look at our own experience to be able to create that instead of having to, um, you know, try and think about each sector individually and having to cater that to, you know, sectors that we may not have been as familiar with. Um, so I do think that was a, an advantage for us going into it. Thanks, Kendra. We always talk about Idaho um, on the national campaign of how the funding that we provided really helped with the spark and providing those roots down over in Idaho to really, you know, move that housing campaign forward. So thank you so much for giving us that perspective on a non-housing organization that was able to really build this campaign around housing advocacy and work in Idaho. So thank you for that, Kendra. I'm going to move on to Tara. And Tara, um, I really like this question for you because you're, I think this is a really great example of like one particular group that was able to really build a, on a partnership. So with Intermountain Healthcare, you guys had been partners throughout the campaign campaign. And we know that recently it's really moved to build more capacity, more investment around housing and health over there in Utah. Um, and so the question is, um, can you speak about this partnership? And could you also give us a little bit more about where you guys headed with the partnerships and how with this particular partnership and how it all started? Sure. <clears throat> so it kind of started again with a collective impact um, group that was meeting, you know, in Salt Lake County. And so Intermountain Healthcare was part of that. And so we got to know um, one another and met several different times to talk about housing and homelessness um, and the impact um, on healthcare and et cetera. But then um, they really got serious and started really looking at the social determinants of health and um, they hired somebody to, you know, their job is their responsibility for developing impact strategy to address the determinants and of health. So, um, and so he was able to come to our conference and he had a workshop and all he wanted to do was listen. He wanted to know how, you know, they could make an impact in their, in, um, the housing community. And so at our conference, you know, we are, you know, a statewide membership organization. So we had many organizations there talking about really um, how they could be um, useful um, in the community. And one of the things that was kind of like shocking to me, but not, it shouldn't have been, but um, um, Francesca brought up the fact that, you know, we really need help advocating we need, we need your lobbying power on the Hill. We need, you know, and, and they listen because I think some of the stuff that they have been so successful in doing is partnering with other agencies. So 
Several years ago, they were able to get $5 million um, to look at preservation of properties. And so they were going to be, they'd match that. And so they received that from the state. And that's from a state that only puts $2.2 million into housing a year. And so that was huge. And then this past session, um, they were able to, you know, work with the same group um, and they received $25 million to do housing preservation. Um, and so, you know, I think their power and the, their ability to be able to really talk about, you know, housing um, and the impact of, you know, for their organization um, is very powerful. And so, um, you know, I think also they've been really um, helpful in working with our affordable housing um, commission. Um, and that's a statewide um, commission that meets and they've just been a really incredible partner and a resource in other ways for our organization. And so I, you know, if you do have, you know, board openings, I would suggest, you know, trying to get somebody, you know, on your board. And so we actually have the um, Nick Fritz, who is from IHC on that board into Mountain Healthcare. And so, um, and he's been extremely helpful in other ways. Um, but the community is very lucky that um, they're investing so much money into housing. And I'm going to put an article in the chat um, that just came, that just was in the paper today to illustrate the impact they're having in Weber County in investing in rental that um, people that will um, start off as a renter and become a homeowner. Um, so this is a brand new program. And so, um, but they're investing in that as well. We're also doing work in Southern Utah. So they have been an incredible partner um, on so many different levels um, and just really happy that they have, you know, really stepped, you know, out and have done all this incredible, you know, work, especially with, uh, I would say, our elected officials. Thank you, Tara. And thank you for saying that you'll also provide a resource in the chat for folks here. We're running up right up against three o'clock. So I'm gonna wrap it up here and thank our panelists so much for joining us today and answering such incredible answers to the questions that we have around multi-sector partnerships. I hope everyone who joined us today was able to get some understanding of what the best practices are, um, what the challenges are, what groups um, are being associated with the campaign through this multi-sector coalition. And I just dropped in, there was just one kind of mention about contact information when it comes to the state partners with the campaign. And I dropped the link. If you go to that page, you can click on the logos of all the organizations, the state partners that we have. We have 15 currently um, that are engaged with the campaign. And if you click on the logo, it'll take you to a contact kind of page. On that page, you'll see a description of each of our state partners. You'll see some contact information um, that you can also use. And you'll also see some highlights of the work that they're doing. So if you ever have a question about what kinds of work is being produced through our state partners, you'll see articles, you'll see opt-eds, you'll see reports, you'll see panels, you'll see recordings, you'll see sometimes they collaborate with us on podcasts and articles and all sorts of things. So definitely check out that page for more information on our state campaigns. And we thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. And thank you to our panelists. Have a good evening, everyone.